Well, it's great to see you, those of you online, great to be with you after not preaching for seven weeks. It's, it's exciting to be back up here and doing that. And since I haven't preached for a while, I want to start off with some really good news. Uh, regardless of where you've been, where you're currently at, how you describe where you're at on your journey, the good news is that God wants to transform you more into who he's created you to be. And whether you'd say it or not, know it or not, or would express it in those words, you want that too. Because the more we're transformed to who God's created us to be, the more we experience the life and hope and peace and joy and fulfillment and contentment that only God himself can give that, let's be honest, we're all in a search for. The question is how? How are we transformed? Well, according to Jesus and according to the writers of Scripture, being transformed by Jesus begins by entering into a saving relationship with Jesus through faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus, asking Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life. Which, hey, if you've never done that, I'm so pumped that, that you're joining us and you're with us. But if you've never done that and you would say, man, I want and I'm searching for the life, hope, peace, joy, fulfillment, salvation, redemption that only can come from God. If you feel like you're searching for something like that, I would invite you to consider or at least reconsider putting your faith in Jesus. Maybe even today. So it begins by putting our faith in Jesus. Then afterwards, after we put our faith in Jesus, we're continually transformed into who God created us to be by following Jesus. So let me ask you, for every, all of you who say that you put your faith in Jesus, who you, all of us who say we call ourselves followers of Christ, are you continually being transformed? Well, are you following Jesus? At Relevant, we've narrowed down how to follow Jesus, how, how to live as a disciple of Jesus, because a disciple is someone who follows, so it's called disciples of Christ. How, how, we've narrowed down how to follow Jesus to three vital elements that we call T-Life. T-Life stands for transform life. The first element is growing in a relationship with Jesus. Growing is vital to follow Jesus in order to continually be transformed by Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can transform our lives. The second element is connecting in authentic relationships within the church. C connecting is vital to follow Jesus in order to continually be transformed by Jesus because, as we talk about all the time, our lives are not transformed in isolation. We need other people. Now, before I tell you what the third vital element is, let me tell you what you may feel, think, or be tempted to do. You may feel, as I share this, you may feel like, uh, I can't do this one, shouldn't do this one, not sure I want to do this one. You're, you're going to think probably, as I share this, this one, this one's extra credit. Like, yeah, I know growing in a relationship with Jesus is important, connecting is important because we need other people. Like, I get all that. But this one, this one's extra credit. This is for like the super Christian people. Maybe someday when I get to a certain place, I'll do it then. And therefore, what you're going to be tempted to do is completely dismiss this third element and justify all the reasons why. So if you feel this way, if you think this way, if you're tempted to do this, you need to know you're not alone. Many people who say they're followers of, of, of Christ dismiss this third element and justify why for all sorts of reasons. And I believe this is one of the main reasons why many of us aren't being more transformed into who God created us to be and why many of us aren't seeing or experience more in God, more, aren't seeing or experiencing more of God in our lives because the writers of Scripture are very clear. You can't follow Jesus without this third element. But understanding why, understanding why this third element is vital to follow Jesus really hinges on the correct answer to the question, what's the primary reason Jesus came? Now, as, as followers of Christ, 
This may be one of the most important questions to answer correctly because how we answer this question affects our understanding of God, our worldview, our relationships, our purpose, our view of the church, our actions. So think about what's the primary reason Jesus came? If I went around this room and asked everyone to answer, there'd probably be a ton of different answers. And the variation of our answers is one of, the, one of the reasons why there are so many people who claim to believe the same thing about Jesus, yet view God differently, view the church differently, are divided on issues, experience God differently, act so differently. But Jesus, he, he knew we'd have different opinions about why he came. So to clear up any confusion, he told us clearly. And his words are recorded in, in the book of Luke. And Jesus said, for the Son of Man, referring to himself. He's talking about himself in third person. This is a title he liked to use for himself. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was clear. That our Heavenly Father sent him on a mission to seek and to save those who are lost. Those who have a broken relationship with Holy Creator God because of their violation of sin against him. And that's you, and 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 me, and everyone. Jesus was clear that our Heavenly Father sent him on a mission to die in our place as the sinless perfect sacrifice to atone for our penalty of sin against him, to forgive us for our violation of sin against him, to restore and redeem and reconcile our broken relationship with him both in this life and in the next, and to offer us eternal life. Eternal life doesn't mean starting someday, it means starting today. That's what Jesus gave his life on the cross for, and that's what he rose from the grave to prove that only he can do. That's the primary reason Jesus came. But what does that have to do with us following Jesus? Well, the writers of Scripture are clear. Our ultimate purpose as Jesus' followers is to carry on Jesus' mission of reaching people for Jesus. You, I, we, we can't follow Jesus. We can't live as followers of Christ. We can't live as disciples of Christ without reaching people for Jesus, without carrying on his mission of seeking and saving those who are lost. It is not extra credit, and you can't dismiss it if you say you're a follower of Jesus. And you may go, well, Ronnie, how can you be so certain of that? And I'm certain of it because of Jesus' final words on this earth. That 40 days after Jesus died and then rose from the grave, he gathers his small community of followers together, now called the church. He gathers a small community together, and he, uh, uh, right before he's going to physically ascend, right before he's going to physically leave this earth, and he says some final words to him. And these final words are recorded in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. And it's like before he leaves, he says, I've gathered you together one final time to say one final thing. I've saved the most important thing for last. This is the exclamation point. Don't forget this. I, I've saved it to last so that you would always remember this final important thing. And here were his words. All authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. And by the way, they believed all authority had been given to him because they heard this guy predict his death and resurrection and then pull it off. They're like, yeah, you got all the authority in heaven and on earth. It's all been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go. He's not talking to a person. He's talking to his church, his followers. He's saying, go, all y'all. Not one of y'all or some of y'all. All y'all, go. <clears throat> Beth, you like that, all y'all? A little southern in there? You're welcome. Therefore, go, all y'all, go make disciples. He's saying, go invite other people to follow me by putting their faith in me of all nations. 
baptizing them. For them to publicly proclaim they put their faith in me. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always until the very end of the age. And how Jesus was going to be with them and with us was by his spirit, referred to as the Holy Spirit, residing within those of us who have put our faith in him. However, at this point when Jesus said these words, he hadn't sent his spirit to reside in anyone yet because he was still physically on earth. Luke records an additional final statement Jesus made that Matthew didn't. And it's recorded in Acts 1. He says, but you, Jesus is saying, but you, remember he's speaking to the church, he's speaking to his community of followers, he's not speaking to one individual, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. He's saying the same spirit that rose me from the dead will reside in you and fill you with his power when you put your faith in me. And because the Holy Spirit resides in you, you will be my witnesses. You'll be my ambassadors, my sent ones. In Jerusalem, that's their local community. In Judea and Samaria, that's the surrounding areas. And to the ends of the earth. I mean, you got to get this. Right before Jesus physically left, the last thing, the last thing, the exclamation point thing that he said to his church is that your ultimate purpose as my followers is to carry on my mission. And the primary reason I am sending my spirit to reside in those of you who put your faith in me is not primarily for yourself. It's to fill you with power to be able to do that. So go, go and reach people for me. Seek and save those who are lost with the good news about me, the message of what my death and resurrection means for every single person and can do in every single person. Based on the words of Jesus and on the words of the rise of the New Testament, the third vital element to follow Jesus is what we call impacting the world. Impacting the world by reaching people who don't know Jesus with the message of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the peace, the grace, the reconciliation, the forgiveness, the salvation, the love of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, this is not extra credit. If you're a follower of Christ, you, you and I, we must not dismiss this. Not only because of what it means for people who don't know Jesus but also because of what it means for us as individuals and as the church. Jesus promised that when we live for his mission is then when we experience his transforming presence and power in our lives. So let me ask you again. Those of you who say you put your faith in Jesus, are you continually being transformed into everything that God has created you to be? Well, are you following Jesus by growing, connecting, and maybe most importantly, impacting? Man, the awesome thing about our church is that we get this. Like, we get this. We get the importance. We get the call of, like, we're called to reach people for Jesus and seek and save the lost, and we are passionate about it. it. In October, we did our annual survey. We asked as many of us to fill out this annual survey as possible, and we asked you questions about in your engagement, about indicators of transformation, about if and how you're following Jesus. And the whole purpose we do this annual survey is just to see where our church is, some strong points and weak points of our church, so hopefully we can help lead our church to follow Jesus better. Well, one of the questions 
questions that we asked was, does your heart break for people who haven't put their faith in Jesus, and do you want to reach them? Of the almost 600 of us who filled out this, who completed this survey, 100%, 100% answered that question with a resounding yes. My heart breaks for people that don't know Jesus, and I want to reach them. And you guys, that's the amazing thing about our church. It's one of the many reasons I love our church, because unfortunately, that's just not the case with many Christ followers and many churches. So it's so awesome. We are so passionate here about reaching people for Jesus. We also asked in the annual survey, are people in your life who don't know Jesus putting their faith in Jesus through your influence? And we also asked, do you intentionally share the good news of Jesus with people in your life who don't know Jesus? Unfortunately, those two questions rated the lowest on the survey. Good news, we are passionate about reaching people for Jesus, about seeking and saving the lost, man. We want to do it. We want to see it happen. Bad news, not practically doing it. <laughs> the question is why? Like why is there this gap? I honestly believe it's because we intuitively know what it requires. The New Testament book of Romans is actually a first century letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church or the community of Christ followers in the city of Rome. And throughout most of this letter, Paul, Paul is basically giving like a gospel message, you know, with a ton of cool doctrinal deep stuff. And he's basically giving this gospel message. And then we get to chapter 10. And in chapter 10, he gives an invitation. And he writes like, hey, any and everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, who asks Jesus to be the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life, will be saved will be forgiven for their violation of sin against God, will have their broken relationship with God restored in this life and the next, and will be given eternal life. And then after he gives that, immediately after he gives that invitation, he writes this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them or communicating with them or telling them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul's saying, hey, the only way people who don't know Jesus will ever put their faith in Jesus is by someone telling them about the good news of Jesus. He goes on. But not all the Israelites, and that's what ancient Jews were called, accepted the good news. I mean, they should have been the people who most easily and quickly accepted it. For Isaiah, referring to the Israelite prophet Isaiah, says, Lord, who has believed our message? Paul's saying, not everyone who hears the good news of Jesus will open their hearts to Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, and follow Jesus. I mean, we want that so bad. We want to see every single person who doesn't know Jesus, who's never put their faith in Jesus, who's never experienced his love, who, who's never been saved and forgiven. We want to see every single one of them that, that hears the good news of Jesus, put their faith in him, and have their life and their eternity transformed. But we don't determine if that happens or not. God can only change people's hearts. God can only call people to himself. Our job, Paul's saying, is we got to share. How will they know if no one tells them in order to allow God to do what only God can do? And then Paul sums up his line of thinking in this one final sentence. He says, consequently, faith comes from hearing. The message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ, the good news of what Jesus' death and resurrection means for you and me and them. Here's Paul's big idea. Reaching people for Jesus requires crossing the line of sharing the good news of Jesus. 
not just with our actions, we all know that, but also with our words. Because how can they know if someone doesn't tell them? And that's what prevents many of us who are passionate about reaching people for Jesus from actually doing it. We want people to be reached. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And we want our friends and our family to know that and their classmates to know that and our coworkers to know that. But we dismiss it and justify all the reasons why. Well, if I cross this line, they're going to think I'm weird. They're going to push me away, and I don't want to be that weird Christian guy. I mean, if I cross this line, I'll probably push them away. They'll think I have an agenda. If I cross this line, I'm going to look stupid. I don't know what to say. I'm not a professional Jesus person. I don't know enough about the Bible. You should probably leave this to the pastors. And Come on, come on, let's be honest. You've got to be honest with yourself. All of our excuses, all of your excuses, what are they rooted in? You know what it's rooted in? It's rooted in fear. This is so important. When fear drives us, do you know who we care most about in the world? Ourselves. The more self-focused we are, the more selfish we become. You know this. The more self-focused we are, the more selfish we become. And we wonder why Christians have gotten a bad rap. We've become so selfish instead of selflessly following Jesus because we're focused on ourselves and our own fear. So let me ask you again. Person who says you're a follower of Christ, person who said you put your faith in Jesus, are you continually being transformed into everything God's created you to be? Well, are you following Jesus? Your ultimate purpose as a follower of Christ is to carry on his mission of reach people who do not know him. And this is a big deal. It's a big deal we follow Jesus in this way because other people's salvation is at stake. How can they know unless someone tells them? But your transformation is at stake as well. Reaching people for Jesus requires crossing the line of sharing the good news of Jesus with our words. But you know this, not just any words though. Because we know the reality. The words we use will either influence people toward or away from Jesus. Yeah, you, you've probably experienced this. You've experienced it in your own life and you've used, word, used words with other people. The words we use will either influence people toward or away from Jesus. If you want to reach people for Jesus instead of repel people from Jesus, it's important we cross this line the right way. Now, you, I said, crossing this line, it takes a ton of courage. It requires going from comfort zone to zone of the unknown. That requires a lot of faith in God. It requires a lot of trust in God. But it's worth trusting God enough in this way to cross the line to the zone of the unknown because transformation never happens in the comfort zone. Let me say it again. Transformation, transformation in your life, transformation in other people's lives, it never, ever, ever happens in the comfort zone. You will never be transformed while you are comfortable. You won't today, tomorrow, next week, next year, or any other day of your life until the day you die. Transformation in your life and other people's life never, ever, ever has never happened once and will never happen once in the comfort zone. When we trust God enough to cross this line is when you'll begin to experience Jesus' transforming presence and power 
in you and through you in ways that you never have before. But crossing this line takes a lot of courage, but it also takes a lot of love, a lot of wisdom, a lot of discernment on what to say and what not to say because the words we use will either influence people toward or away from Jesus. So what I want to do for the rest of this series is I want to help close the gap between our passion to reach people and actually doing it. I want to close that gap by giving you three impactful instead of hurtful ways to cross the line by sharing the good news of Jesus with our words. And if you're a follower of Christ, I hope you don't dismiss this. I hope you don't justify dismissing what we're going to talk about. I hope over the next today and over the next couple weeks, you listen and apply. Because after years of applying these three ways myself, I can say with confidence that these three have the potential to open people's hearts to Jesus, to illuminate people's minds to, 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 minds to Jesus' love to, to them, to open people's hearts to their need for Jesus, to move people one step closer to them putting their faith in Jesus. And there's nothing more awesome, and there's nothing more powerful, and there's nothing more transformational than seeing God. God work through you in that way. But before I jump into this, I just want to say, for, I want to real quickly talk to those of you who would say you're not followers of Christ, you never put your faith in Jesus, either join in online or, or, or here today. I'm just so pumped you're here. But I know right now you're going, I came to the wrong series. Like this was, I should have came to maybe to the next series. Like why? Because you don't care about reaching people for Jesus because you haven't even put your faith in Jesus. So I, t I totally get that. It kind of seems irrelevant to you. And, but even though this may seem a little bit relevant to you, I think the next few weeks can actually be impactful for you. And here's why. Because I hope over the next few weeks you see that we believe this stuff so much. That we believe this is so important. That we we, we love you so much that we want to share something with you in a way that helps your heart open up to it because we believe it's so true. So I, I pray over the next few weeks, you go, these people care enough about me. They're taking three weeks just to help learn how to talk with me better. At the end of this series, I don't think you're going to want to put your faith in Jesus. I mean, Maybe. But that's not my goal. I hope at the end of this series is, is not that you go, I want to know Jesus more. I hope at the end of this series you go, I want to know those people from Relevant more. Because they love me enough to actually take some time to figure out how to do this better. Because they believe it so much. Now before I jump into the first of these three ways, I want to quickly talk about what I believe to be the best approach to reach people who don't know Jesus. I don't believe the best approach is... The street preacher approach. I, this, this, no bueno. No, you don't think it's a good approach too. This approach sucks, if I'm really being honest. Like don't, that's not, that's not the best approach. I, I don't believe the best approach, secondly, is the handing out tracts approach. You know, handing out gospel tracts to people that, that you don't know. L listen, I know people's hearts have been opened up to Jesus in this way by giving a gospel tract. And it, it's happened. I just don't believe it's the best approach for all of us to use to help, you know, to cross the line in that way to reach people for Jesus. Third, I don't think the best approach is the door-to-door -door approach. This approach is just super annoying. I mean, I'm on the couch watching Breaking Bad. I don't want to get up and answer the door. I just kidding. I don't watch Breaking Bad. That You sinners watch that. I am holy. Just kidding, I love that show. It's an amazing show. Uh, the third, I don't think the best approach is the social media approach. You know that approach where I just like to spew out a lot of Bible verses on social media, and I think it's going to impact people. It, listen, it's probably a great thing. I'm sure people's hearts have been opened up to Jesus in that way. I just don't think it's the best approach on how to cross the line to reach people for Jesus. 
I believe the best approach to reach someone for Jesus is a relational approach. She's sharing the good news of Jesus with our words. It's traditionally called evangelism. And at Relevant, we believe relational evangelism is the best approach. And here's why. Because nobody is influenced by people they don't like. I mean, think about that. You've never been positively influenced by someone that you hated. To influence someone toward Jesus, they have to like you. True, lasting, positive, life-transforming influence happens best within the context of relationships of two people who like each other. Listen, we can all, I don't care how long you've been following Jesus, how much Bible you know, we can all, you can actually reach someone for Jesus because it doesn't require special training skills or Bible knowledge. It doesn't require you being perfect and sinless. It doesn't mean you have to stand on the corner, move to Africa, or go go door to door. Reaching someone for Jesus starts simply with relation, simply relationally investing in them. Investing in the relationship, caring for them. Being there for them, listening to them, putting them first, being interested in them, serving there, serving them. Essentially, just sharing Jesus' loves with your, not this, sharing Jesus' love with your actions first. To reach someone for Jesus, the best advice I can give is long before you think about crossing this line and opening your pie hole, Simply invest, 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 invest in the relationship. Because here's what's happening. Every investment you make of sharing Jesus' love with your actions, you're actually getting one step closer to that line. And then, when you end up crossing it, you won't push them away and they won't push you away. Because they know you care about them and they care about you as well. The really cool thing with our church is we are so good at this. Like we are so good at relationally investing in people. I watch us do it all the time. We hear stories of it happening all the time, of sharing Jesus' love with our actions and investing in people and serving them and just being in their life in a way that other people aren't in their life. Unfortunately, that alone won't open up someone's heart to Jesus because reaching people for Jesus requires crossing the line of sharing the good news of Jesus with our words. How will they know if no one tells them? That brings us to the first impactful way to cross the line, which is starting spiritual conversations. In order to reach someone for Jesus, to share the good news of Jesus with someone, to influence someone toward Jesus, we have to be courageous enough to cross the line of starting spiritual conversations at some point. And I already know what you're thinking. I don't know what that means, but I'm not sure I want to do this. Because what do I say? I mean, I don't know what to say about Jesus. That wouldn't be weird to them. And I don't want to push them away. I don't even know any good Bible verses. I don't know any Bible verses to share with them. And I'm just going to stumble all over my words. I'm going to look stupid. And what if they ask questions? I don't know how to answer any of their questions. I still have questions myself. I don't know how to get a good argument, put a good argument together about Jesus to persuade them. And I'm sure they have reservations. I don't have enough Bible knowledge to address all their reservations. I'll probably make it even worse. Leave it to the professional people, Ronnie. And I'd go, relax, Tonto. Like, you're just making this too hard. You're making this too complicated, so breathe a little. You got a little riled up there. (laughs) See, I would say you're just thinking about this all wrong. The key word here is starting spiritual conversations. 
The reality is, is the number one thing that fills us with fear and stops us from starting spiritual conversations is focusing on ourselves and what we're going to say. And you know this, in any conversation, when someone is primarily focused on what they're going to say first, it makes the conversation terrible. It makes the relationship terrible. The best conversations happen by asking and listening. Asking and listening. So here's my big idea for the day. Spiritual conversations don't start with what you say. They start with the questions you ask. Spiritual conversations don't start with what you say. They start with the questions you ask. When you read the accounts of how Jesus interacted with people, you'll quickly notice he rarely led with information, statements, and facts. Instead, many times, most times, he led with questions. I just want to give you a few examples. One day, some blind men were following Jesus around, crying out to Jesus to to heal them. And instead of Jesus giving them a dissertation on who he was and what he could do in their life, he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? He crossed the line, starting a spiritual conversation with a question. A little time later, Jesus runs, uh, uh, Jesus runs across a couple more blind men while he was walking down the street. And once again, instead of immediately healing them or talking at them, Jesus stopped and called them, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. He crossed the line, starting a spiritual conversation with a question. During, during one of his visits to Jerusalem, he sees a paralyzed man lying on the ground who had prayed and hoped to be healed for many years. And instead of telling him that he was the Messiah and giving him all the reasons why he could heal him, he asked him, do you want to get well? He crossed the line of starting a spiritual conversation with a question. One day, Jesus was trying to get his disciples to really grasp who he was. And instead of giving them a sermon with all the correct doctrine and information at them, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, to others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Cross the line and starting a spiritual conversation with the question. And I could just go on and on and on with other examples. But the important thing is to grasp the, why Jesus led with questions. Do you know why he did? Jesus led with questions because He didn't come to be right. He led with questions because he wanted to influence people and change their lives and eternities. Jesus didn't ask questions for his benefit. He's God. He's got it. Knows what's in their mind. Knows what's in their heart. He asked questions for their benefit. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he knew starting spiritual conversations with the right questions was more impactful for them than just being right and saying all the right things at them. Spiritual conversations don't start with what you say. They start with the questions you ask. You know why starting spiritual conversations with questions instead of what you say is so powerful? Because starting spiritual conversations with questions is how we continue to relationally invest in people and potentially influence them toward Jesus. You already know this. Questions communicate you care. And people don't care what you know until they know you care. People don't care what you know until they know You care. Questions communicate you care more about them than you do about yourself or about your Jesus agenda. 
And that builds trust. And as trust goes, so goes the relationship. And as relationship goes, so goes the potential for influence. Questions are how you learn about them. And if you don't know what a person thinks, if you don't know how they feel, if you don't know why they believe what they do, if you don't know their story, then how could you possibly influence them? Questions, they open the door to conversation. The more someone believes you want to know about them, the more they want to know about you, and the more conversation is had. People want to listen to people who have listened. Questions, this is so important, opens people's hearts. It's almost impossible to change someone's mind without touching their heart. And we focus so much of our time trying to put together intellectual arguments that don't touch people's hearts. Why are we so focused on that? Let's focus on the heart. Questions within the context of relationship, that's where the focus is. Reaching people for Jesus requires crossing the line of sharing the good news of Jesus with our words. The first impactful way to cross the line is starting spiritual conversations. Spiritual conversations don't start with what you say. They start with the questions you ask. And there's, I'm sure, thousands of great questions you can ask to cross the line of starting a spiritual conversation. But I want to close by quickly giving you three really good questions. Three really good questions that I ask all the time and use all the time. And probably if you've ever sat across the table of me of, at a meal or a coffee, I probably asked you one of these questions at some point in time. But let me just reiterate. This is so important. I want to reiterate it again. If you haven't relationally invested in someone, don't ask these questions yet. If you don't know about them, let me get real practical. If you don't know their kids' names, if you don't know their spouse's names, if you don't know if their parents are divorced or still married, if you don't know where they work, if you don't know what position they play on the team, then don't cross this line yet. Go ahead and learn all that stuff first. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, the first question is probably, this is probably the best question to ask and probably the one you should always start with. The question is, where have you been and where are you currently at on your spiritual journey? This is the best starting spiritual conversation question you can ever ask. Because this question helps you learn their story. And I, will, I can almost guarantee you can't impact them and influence them for Jesus without knowing their story. Because here's the deal. Jesus, he wants to connect with their story. He wants to intertwine with their story. He wants to meet them in their story. He wants to meet them in their loneliness or their unfulfillment or their pain. And you have the opportunity to show the good news of Jesus and how Jesus intersects with their story. But you can't do it if you don't know their story. This question helps you know their story. I would encourage you, don't open your mouth to say anything until you've learned and heard their story. Think about how many times many of us maybe have opened our mouth to try to share things with people, to share the good news of Jesus with people, that we don't know anything about them, and so the things we're sharing aren't even relevant for them. Until you know your, their story, I'd encourage you, don't share your story. We're going to talk about that next week. Don't share Jesus' story. Because it's probably just going to be extraordinarily irrelevant for them. The, the second question, this is such a great question, especially to ask after you kind of know where they're at on their spiritual journey. This is a really good question to ask. The question is, what's stopping you from putting your faith in Jesus? I love this question. I ask this question all the time. Most people don't know what's stopping them. And if they don't identify it, they can never move forward. 
And then there's this third question. This one, I, I love, love, love this question. The question is, what would it take? Hey, what would it take for you to come with me on Sunday? What would it take for you to come with me to Rooted? What would it take for you to open up your heart to the possibility of Jesus? What would it take for you to believe that Jesus is who he claims to be? What would it take for you to put your faith in Jesus? The, the reason I love this question is because most people have never considered the answer to this question. And once they do, it can change everything for them. And it can change everything for how you relate to them, pray for them, invest in them, and invite them. Now, these questions, they aren't perfect questions. They aren't the only questions. They're just three really good ones that I've seen God use to open people's hearts to him again and again and again. Over the last year or so, my niece Meg, who's one of our college interns here at Rooted as well, um, had invest, been investing in her, relationally investing in her friend Destiny. And just being there in her life and walking with her and getting to know her and sharing her life with her and de having Destiny share her life with, and you know, through that investment, you know, Meg started spiritual conversations and really it started with, hey Destiny, where have you been and where are you currently at in your spiritual journey? Meg kind of asked that question in her own way. And, you know, Destiny had shared with her where she's at and where she's been and where she's at. And Meg could see that Destiny had, you know, kind of was seeking this Jesus but didn't know how to seek Jesus and what it was all about. And so Meg said, hey, I think you should come. You want to come to my tea life group with me? Meg's in a college tea life group that my wife Christy and I lead. And she thought it would be good to, if, for Destiny if Destiny kind of showed up there and maybe this would help. And so Destiny was like, yeah, I'll, I'll come with you because they have a good relationship. She trusted Meg. So De Destiny came. She'd been there for a few weeks. And some others of us had learned her story and where she was at and where she'd currently been. And then one night after T-Life group, it was me and Meg and Christy. You know, everyone was kind of leaving. And we're just sitting there in the kitchen talking. And I was like, I'm just going to ask her another question. I said, hey, Destiny, what's stopping you? I asked the second one. What's stopping you from putting your faith in Jesus? And Destiny kind of, you know, I have some big questions and kind of, and she said, and I didn't ask Destiny what her questions were. I asked this question instead. Hey, Destiny, if I answered all your questions right now, would you put your faith in Jesus right now? If I answered them all right now, would you put your faith in Jesus right now? And she goes, probably not. I said, okay, third question. Then what would it take, Destiny. You just told me the thing that's stopping you were these questions. I said, if I answered them, would you put your faith? And you go, no. So what would it take? Would it take Jesus himself descending from heaven in a glowing halo? Like, what would it, like, what would it take for you to put your faith in Jesus? I said, I just want to encourage you to, to think about that. And so she did. She thought about it. And the next week happened to be First Thursday. And as a T Life group, we come to First Thursday together. And so we came to First Thursday. And, um, you know, her heart was kind of stirred during the time. And afterwards, she went to Meg, she grabbed Meg, and she goes, hey, Meg, can we talk? And they went, yeah, so they went back to our office area, and um, she said, hey, I've been thinking about, you know, what would it take? And she goes, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it would take. I, I don't, and Meg kind of asked the same question that I did. It's like, well, what's stopping you, Destiny, then? What's stopping you? And Destiny said, nothing. I think I'm ready. And Meg's like, sweet, well, let's do it. And right there back in our office, Meg prayed with Destiny, and Destiny put her faith in Jesus. And it was just awesome. Awesome. And it didn't come from anything that we said. It came with just the questions that we asked, allowing God to do in Destiny's life what God wanted to do in Destiny's life. Now, real quick, the, the side note, they came back into the auditorium. I was in here, you know, talking to people. They came back in the auditorium afterwards, and Meg was like, hey, Ronnie, Destiny's got something she want to tell you. And I go, oh, cool, Destiny, what's up? She goes, hey, I, I just put my faith in Jesus. 
Destiny didn't think I was weird until that moment. I got real weird. I got really excited. I haven't seen her since. So I, no, just kidding. uh, I was just like, that's jacked up. Right, Destiny? Yeah. This is so, so awesome. Here's my question for you. What's stopping you from crossing the line of starting a spiritual conversation? Well, I don't know what to say. I just got done 35 minutes talking about it. It's not what you say. But the questions you ask, well, I don't want to push them away. (laughs) I've never, not once, ever, 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 I've never pushed anyone that I have relationally invested with away through questions that I've asked them. It's never once happened, ever. So don't let fear stop you. Trust God enough to cross the line from the comfort zone to the zone of the unknown. That step has a potential to not only transform their life, it has the potential to transform yours as well. Because this is how we follow Jesus. How beautiful are the feet of those who cross the line. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that we don't dismiss this, that we take this seriously. Those of us who say that we want to follow you, Jesus, and I pray that through it, just, God, you just touch people's hearts and touch people's lives, touch our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that we don't let fear ever stop us. That we just are more focused and more concerned about sharing what we believe to be so true with people. Because how will they know? How else will they know? Thank you for loving us enough and calling us to be a part of your mission. Giving us this awesome purpose in life. In Jesus' name, amen.